Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. Well, today I want to begin with a premise. Stories, stories, the things that we share, these stories, stories are a mirror. Have you kind of heard that before, kind of connect the dots on that? Like stories are a mirror. They help us see ourselves more clearly. So you get up in the morning like I do, and maybe you take a shower or whatever, and you, you probably look in the mirror for a good number of minutes in the morning, right? And sometimes, like, it might be kind of groggy, like, oh, what am I seeing? And other times you're, you know, getting real precise. And what, but, like, imagine if you didn't have a mirror. Like, I, I should have looked this up, and I didn't. But, like, I'm trying to think back to thousands of years ago when people didn't have mirrors. Like, kind of what do they do? And they probably didn't care as much as we do about our looks, right? Like, makeup and all that stuff. Like, nah, they just didn't do that. But, like, a mirror just allows me to see, oh, I didn't know that was on my face. I'm going to get that off there. You know, like, mirrors allow us to see ourselves in a way that maybe we wouldn't otherwise, right? It's one of those tools that just helps us to, to, to see what other people see or see ourselves more accurately. Well, I want to say the same thing is true about stories, when we tell a story, when we share one of these deep ones that just like really connect with us, all these fairy tales, like we learn about ourselves in it. We're able to, to see ourselves, see who we are, see what the human condition is all about. We just see that a little bit more clearly. Stories act like a mirror. You know, you often hear like, what's the moral of the story? Like sometimes that's, that's the point of a given kind of story. Like we're to learn from it. They're helping us see who we are. Stories allow us to see. We're about to begin a new series today. We're going to look at the book of Exodus. We're going to trace the, this beautiful, incredible story of God moving in the, in the people of Israel. And we're going to see, I hope, that this is our story too. That's why we're calling their story, this, this tagline, their story is our story. We're going to see ourselves in the story of Exodus. And so our goal, why we're doing this series, is this, if I could just capture it this way, is to understand ourselves and our place in the ultimate story. So what am I talking about there? Like, I, I want us to understand who we are as human beings, understand, like, what it's like to be a human being, to, to walk through life, but then also to understand our place in the grand story that God is telling. And I almost wonder if this might be helpful. The, the story of Exodus is the gospel before the gospel. The gospel, the story of Jesus, how he comes to save us. Maybe you've heard that word before. Maybe you haven't. But this story, Exodus, is the gospel before the gospel. It lays the foundation for what Jesus is going to do. And we're going to see ourselves in it. So I'm so excited for us to dive into this series where we can see our story playing out on the pages of Scripture. But today, as we begin this story, there's going to be a question that Exodus is going to raise for us. It's going to offer us two choices, two paths, if you will. And it's almost asking us, which one are you going to choose? Are you going to choose path A or path B? It's going to surface that question for us. Which way are you going to choose? And so you're like, well, what's this all about? Well, 
Let's dive in and see what Exodus has for us. So if you're not already there, open up your Bibles. Go ahead and turn to the book of Exodus. So if you're kind of getting used to your Bible, Exodus is the second book of the Bible. So Genesis, Exodus. So start at the beginning, kind of flip a few pages, and you'll get there pretty quick. But Exodus chapter 1, we're going to look at this story of God working through this people Israel and saving them from Egypt. So Exodus chapter 1. Let me just summarize the first couple of verses for you. So we're actually picking up kind of where we left off in Genesis. So if you've read Genesis, get to the end. You know maybe the story of Jacob and his sons, and ultimately Joseph. See, Joseph, he, he was one of the younger sons, and he was kind of a punk, and you know his brothers got mad at him, and they sold him into slavery. Well, he ended up being a slave in Egypt. And, and through some circumstances and God working in such a way, he rose to the position where he was second in command of the entire nation under Pharaoh. And there was a famine. And, and Joseph works out the, the plan for how do we deal with the famine. Well, the famine struck his family. And so they come to Egypt looking for food, and lo and behold, discover Joseph is alive, and, and he's leading this nation. And so what happens is after all of that, they, they all migrate to Egypt. And this family lives there, and, and they settle, and they have children and begin to multiply. And so that is where we pick up today with the story of Exodus. So the first couple of verses is describing how Joseph's family came to be in Egypt. So pick up reading with me in verse 6. So verse 6 of chapter 1 in Exodus. Now Joseph and all of his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Now pause on that for a second. I've highlighted a few words here that I want to call your attention to. What, what's happening here is that they're, they're expanding. They're, they're having children. Their generations are growing and growing. And, and it's using this language, fruitful, multiplied, increase. Does that sound familiar? Genesis chapter 1, God makes the world and he, and he creates humanity. He says, here, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be fruitful and multiply, increase in number, rule the earth, subdue it, like take care of it and, and watch over it. It's happening. Like God's telling them, do this, but it's also a little bit of a promise, like this is going to happen. And sure enough, we get to Exodus and this family, they're multiplying, they're becoming fruitful. They're increasing in number and that's, that's taking place like, hey, all right, God's vision for the world is, is taking place. But you probably know there's a but coming, Right? Like, okay, they're, they're increasing, but, but there's something that's missing. So keep reading. Verse 8. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, they'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. Pause there a second. So what's happening here is this increasing in number, this fruitfulness now is scaring Pharaoh. He's like, no, 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 I don't like what's happening here. We must deal shrewdly with them. This word here, this phrase in Hebrew is, is hearkening back to chapter 3 of Genesis where a serpent shows up who's crafty, who's shrewd. And he tempts Eve, the woman, 
and to doing things her own way. And so this, this phrase here is to become wise. But what we see here is become wise in his own eyes. What Pharaoh is doing, he's like, I don't want to do it like that. This people becoming numerous and fruitful, mm -mm -mm. we need to do something about this. So what does he do? Verse 11. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. So this, this family, this, this nation is now growing. They're becoming fruitful and multiplied. But what happens is they are being subdued. Rather than them subduing and, and ruling over the, the land and taking care of it, what's happening here is they are being subdued. They're being oppressed. Pharaoh's coming in and saying, yep, you're going to do work for me. And sure enough, he makes them slaves. He oppresses them. He subdues them. Now God's vision, his hope for the world, is being twisted. It's being twisted. It's not the way that it's supposed to be. And what we see is that Pharaoh, he represents human sin and evil. That, that's what Pharaoh is doing in the story. This character we see, he's now taking what God's hope is for the world, and he's twisting it to his own ends. He's doing what's right in his own eyes. And what we're going to see is it's not going to stop there. It's going to get worse and worse. And finally, he's like, you know what? We need to start killing them. And so he's going to start killing children. And we're going to look at that in just a minute. But like, that's, the, that's what's happening here. Pharaoh is representing the extent to which human evil can go. He, he captures it in his person. He represents sinfulness. Now, what do we mean when we're talking about that? Like sin, it's a kind of a churchy word. Like what it really means is to go our own way. And often it results in brokenness, in people getting hurt, in evil. That's exactly what Pharaoh's doing. He's going his, his own way. And he's operating in the way of sin. The way that the snake and the serpent in the garden tempted Eve, like, he's going in that way. He's going in the way of sin. That's what Pharaoh's doing here. So I think what we see, what the Exodus story is trying to tell us right out of the gates is that human beings were slaves to sin. You see, the, the, the Hebrews, they're being enslaved by Pharaoh. Like, they're, they're coming under his oppression, like they're falling on, but the true slave in the story is Pharaoh. He's the one who's now enslaved to his own desires. He, he can't go God's way. He wants to go his way. And it leads him to hurt other people, to oppress them. Like he's a slave. And that's, that's what Exodus is trying to point us to. Very subtly, very carefully, it's pointing to like the conclusion, human beings, we're slaves. We're slaves to this desire to do things our own way. Now, you might look at Pharaoh and say, like, oh, yeah, he's, I mean, totally him. I get that. But, like, ah, you know, we're, we're kind of, like, we're like this with Pharaoh, right? Now, yes, he's killing, killing children, and, and he's oppressing an entire nation. Like, he's leveraging in pow his power in a, an extraordinary kind of way. But before you kind of think, like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm not like him. I'm like the, e Egypt, or the, the Hebrews. Like, I'm enslaved in that kind of way. I think what we're to see is that Pharaoh is actually closer to us then we realize. Because notice, the way that it was being set up is he's doing what's right in his own eyes. I wonder if you've done that. 
when I was younger, um, I remember this one time where my best friend came over and uh, my parents where we lived, we lived uh, in a neighborhood that was right by some train tracks. And then on the other side of those was like this kind of open land and uh, it was privately owned, but there was a dirt road, this kind of gravel dirt road, whatever. So anyway, one day we decided, hey, we're going to go right around. We went over the railroad tracks and started biking on that road. And we eventually came to a gate that was closed off over the road and it had a sign, no trespassing. And so we're sitting there at the gate and we're like, hmm, I want to know what's on the other side. Maybe, maybe, can we, can we go over there? I don't know. We talk about it, and sure enough, like, we throw our bikes over, we climb over the fence, and we ride, and we just keep going. And we crossed into someone else's land. We wanted to know what was on the other side. We wanted to kind of see what we would discover. And, and so we looked at that sign, no trespassing, and we're like, eh, we don't have to worry about that. And we made a choice to do what was right in our own eyes. I mean, this is kind of a small example, and nobody was hurt, and you know, we didn't get caught or anything, so was it really a problem? Eh, maybe not. But right there, what's the choice that we're going to make? Are we going to choose to do what's right in our own eyes? What Exodus is showing us is, you choose that way, this is what it's going to look like ultimately. Generations upon generations who keep making that choice, you're going to become a pharaoh. You're going to do things to people that you wouldn't have imagined before. Like the kind of heinous acts of evil that he does starts with a small choice to do what's right in our own eyes. Human beings, we are slaves to sin. This desire to do what's right in our own eyes. That's what Exodus wants us to see. And so you might be wondering, like, okay, I don't want to do that. Is there an alternative like, yes, what, what's the choice here? Like, can I, do I have to do this, or what's the alternative? Well, let's keep reading, and we're going to see there is an alternative. So beginning at verse 15. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, these women who are helping women give birth, the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Pua, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, If you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. Like, okay, here's here's the evil to which Pharaoh is willing to go. He's willing to kill children as they're being born. If it's a boy, like, I want to take out the power of this nation, of these people. But here, the midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let The boys live. You see this powerful Pharaoh coming in and saying, here's what I want you to do. Do this. I want you to to take care of this problem that I have. And he tells that to these midwives. But what does it say? They feared God. And they did not do what he asked. They let these Hebrew boys live. And so when Pharaoh, what happens kind of next, he confronts them. He's like, why are you doing this? And they're like, oh, well, the, the Hebrew midwives, they're just so vigorous in their delivery. Like, well, I, we just couldn't get there in time. Of course, they're lying. But like, here it is. They're spinning the story and saying, like, we just, we're not there. And so that's why it's happening. And so what God does is he sees that and he honors them. The people continue to increase. But then it says that God blesses them with families of their own. And he's like, here, I'm showing you some favor. I'm showing you some honor. That's what essentially God is doing 
for these women. But Pharaoh, okay, it gets him all riled up, and so he's going to escalate it to the next level, and we'll look at that in just a second. But right here, you see the contrast. Pharaoh, who's operating in the way of sin, of evil, doing things his own way, and then we have these midwives. They're honoring God. And so that's what the story wants to point us to. Like some people honor God and choose a different way. And notice that it's women. Back then, you know, several thousand years ago, the, the heroes of the stories were men. They were the warriors, the strong ones who would conquer and, and defeat the enemies. Like that was your typical hero. But here you see quiet, subtle, and behind the scenes kinds of heroes. And they're women. And they're the ones who are subverting Pharaoh and his power. Like, they're the ones who are resisting and coming in and saying, no, no, we're not going to do it that way. And all the while, they're the ones who are fearing God. They're honoring God in his way. And so that's what we see here. This picture of women who are, who are subversive, who, who are taking things a different direction and not following what Pharaoh is telling them to do. So now we get this contrast, the way of sin and the way of God. This is the choice. Are we going to choose the way of sin, go like Pharaoh and do things in our own eyes, what's right? Or are we going to be like these women? Are we going to choose the way of God? Are we going to do things in the way that honors him and brings life, does what is good? That's the tension the story is going to explore in t- throughout the entire book. Will we choose to do the way of evil or will we choose to do the way of God? That's what Exodus wants us to wrestle with. Who are we going to be like? Are we going to be like Pharaoh? Or are we going to be like these kinds of people? So you're probably like, okay, I know what the right answer is, right? Like it's becoming clear. I want to choose the way of God. Well, how do I choose that? Because didn't I just say that we were slaves? And if you're a slave, like, you're under someone's power. Like, you really can't do a lot. uh, Like, we're oppressed. And and yes, human beings, we are slaves to sin. We are trapped. We're bonded into that. We're in bondage. Is there a way out? That's where God steps in. So keep reading. Let's move to chapter 2. So here we hear, we've heard that Moses, or excuse me, that, that Pharaoh wants to destroy this nation. So now he's moving forward, and he's going to say, you know what? Let's just throw all of the boys, all of the children, into the Nile. I'm not going to ask these midwives to do it in childbirth. Look, it's a blanket statement for everybody. Throw Hebrew boys into the Nile. That's where our story picks up. Chapter 2, verse 1. Now a man in the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. Uh Uh-oh. Imagine when he's born. She knows what's supposed to happen, and she's probably terrified. Imagine that, like, as a mother, as a father, like, this this baby we can't keep? We have to put it to death? Like, what? What? When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. She did what she could. Like, okay, we just got to keep it quiet. Like, don't let people know. Try to hide it. But like, I mean, babies, they cry. They make noise. They grow. Like, at some point, something's going to just give here, right? So she did what she could. She hid him for three months. 
But when she saw that she could no longer keep him, she got a papyrus basket for him, coated coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it in the reeds along the bank of the Nile. So I want to call attention to a couple of things here. She's kind of doing what she's supposed to be doing, right? It's like, I'll put him in the Nile, but ah, she put him in a basket to keep him safe. Like, so here again is a woman subverting Pharaoh. She's doing what she's supposed to, but ah, she's spinning it just in the right way. She's providing a way forward for this baby to survive. But notice, what did she put him in? A basket. The word in Hebrew here is ark, as in Noah's ark. It's meant to call our attention to what God did in the story of Noah. See, what happened there is God flooded the world. He's he's ridding the land of evil, but he provides a means of salvation through a boat, through an ark, and he saves humanity through them. We're meant to begin to be like, wait a minute, ark, oh, okay, like, is that what God is doing here? Like, here's this baby, he's being rescued through water in a boat, What's God about to do here? I also want to call attention here to the the mention of reeds. So like she places him in the reeds along the bank, this grass that grows up. Well, this is the same word that the Hebrew points to for the Red Sea. Sea of reeds, it's the same word. And so it's almost looking forward to what God is going to do. They knew what the event was all about. This is a story they're familiar with when they're reading it. And they're like, here it is. God's going to save the people. And he's doing it through this little baby. Sure enough. Let's keep reading. Verse 4. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to go get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, She took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Right here, we see subversion again. And it happens with Pharaoh's own daughter. Pharaoh says, throw all the the kids in the Nile. But here's Pharaoh's daughter rescuing one of them. Pharaoh's own daughter. And what happens Miriam, Moses' sister, she's there. She's like, hey, hey, I, I know someone who can nurse him. Like, can I, can I help you with this? And sure enough, she goes and gets Moses' mother. And Moses' mother gets to nurse him, take care of him, and even be paid for it. I mean, look how God begins to turn things around. And not only that, Moses, he gets to live in the palace. He gets to live in the comfort and safety that that brings. Like now he's been rescued from the oppression that was going to be his destiny. And he's called Moses. I've been drawn up out of water. Right here we see the echoes of what God is doing. 
He is rescuing the people. But come back to our choice. Will he choose this way or this way? Will he choose the way of sin, be like Pharaoh, or is he going to choose the way of God? So what happens next is Moses grows up, and he kind of decides, like, I'm going to go out and just see what's going on in the land. And and he arrives at, at a moment where there's an Egyptian and a Hebrew, and the Egyptian is beating the Hebrew. He's just knocking him to a pulp. And and Moses sees this, and and he's like, this is not the way it's supposed to be. And so when he gets a moment, he kind of checks, and and he kills the Egyptian. He murders him. Now, when we hear that story, I'm curious, what are you thinking right now? I wonder if you're kind of like, okay, well, he saw something that was wrong and did something about it. Good. But then, like, he killed the Egyptian. Like, is that okay? Okay. That is the exact question we're supposed to ask. Like, we're to look at this and say, like, oh, what way did Moses choose? Did he choose what was right or did he choose what was wrong? Like, he saw the injustice, did something about it, but then he killed the Egyptian. Like, hmm. And I think that is the question we're to wrestle with right here. What is Moses doing? What way is he choosing? Is he going to be aligned with God, or is he going to do things Pharaoh's way? Again, he's been living in the palace. Is he going to be like Pharaoh, or is he going to be like God? Sure enough, he goes out the next day, the literal next day, and he goes back to the Hebrews and, and sees two of them fighting. He's like, hey, hey, don't, don't fight amongst yourselves. Like, why would you do that? And they're like, who made you ruler and judge over us? We know what you did. Moses has been caught. And sure enough, Pharaoh hears about it, and he's going to kill Moses. So Moses has to flee. And it's looking like right now, it's like, hmm, this isn't working out for him. I think what we're meant to infer is that Moses, he kind of took matters into his own hands. He did what was right in his own eyes. Uh Uh-oh. Shoot. He's not doing it the way that he's supposed to be doing it. And so what happens is he flees. He goes to this land called Midian. He kind of lands at a well. And he actually sees another moment of injustice. Some shepherds who are kind of beating up on some women and, and you know, like doing some wrong things. And he steps in and, and kind of rescues them. And, and sure enough, like, these are all daughters of, of a man named Jethro. So he meets Jethro. And eventually he, he lives there and marries one of those daughters and becomes a shepherd in this land. And he stays there for 40 years. He's in exile. He's a foreigner. He's not where he kind of belongs. So I think what we're to see is like what Moses did wasn't quite right. But this 40-year period is going to be very, very forming. It's going to be telling who is Moses going to become. I'm going to pick up at the very end of chapter 2 and kind of see this summary statement we get before what happens next in the story. So beginning at verse 23. So during that long period, the 40 years, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help, because of their slavery, went up to God. God heard their groaning. And he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. What Exodus is telling us is like God sees what's happening. 
He, he remembers what's, what's going on, and he remembers his covenant. He's like, I've agreed to protect this people. I want them to be a great nation, and I'm concerned about this. So you're almost kind of like, oh, what's God going to do? Like, how is he going to show up? And that's for next week. But for this week, what we see is that, that we've got this character, Moses, and it's a little ambiguous. What path is he going to choose? He's supposed to be the deliverer, and we know that he is. We know the story, right? Moses shows up and, and, and steps in the way God wants him to, but at this moment, it's like, what kind of deliverer is he? You see, what, what we see in the story is that God is providing a deliverer. Like, it's telling us God delivers a deliverer. Here it is. He's provided one, but he also delivers that one. He saves him. That's what happened when he was a baby. He rescued Moses. But what kind of deliverer is Moses? And it just leads to this question. What kind of deliverer do we need? Do we get a deliverer who's going to operate in this way, in the way of sin? Or are we going to get one that's going to operate in the way of God? And it's pointing forward to the need we have for a deliverer to operate in the way of God. And at this moment, we see that Moses, ah, is he going to come through or not? And we, want, we need one who is going to be true and sure. We need a deliverer who's going to be the way that we need him to be. Fast forward several thousand years, and Jesus shows up on the scene. And he takes up the mantle in the way of Moses. But he's the true Moses. Not the Moses who's going to take matters into his own hands, but rather he's going to be sold out and solely focused on the way of God. Jesus would come to be the ultimate deliverer. And he would not deliver us just from physical slavery, but the true deeper slavery of slavery to sin. And here is the answer. How do we choose between these two ways? Because we're slaves to sin. We can't get out ourselves. We need to be rescued to the way of God. And that, that is what Jesus does. He does it by dying. He does it by giving his life for us. And he does it by being raised to new life once again. He provides the avenue of salvation. Through these waters that, of chaos that are all around us, he provides us the channel, the way forward to live in the way of God. This is what Jesus came to do. He came to be the ultimate deliverer, the true Moses. And so I hope you're beginning to sense how this series, this walk through Exodus, is going to help us see, like, the gospels here at the very beginning. The good news of what Jesus came to do starts here. It's not when Jesus shows up. No, no, no. It's building on the foundation of what Exodus is building. And that's why we're going to study this, this book. We're going to see that everything is pointing to Jesus, and it's our story as well. Because we are slaves to sin. We, we can't choose another way. We need to be rescued to be able to choose the way of God. Pharaoh in this story, he's the true slave. The Hebrews, they're enslaved as well. What needs to happen is they need to be rescued. So do we. Because we choose this. We choose the way of sin. We can't help it. We need to be rescued so that we can choose the way of God. So, 
some application for you. Here, here's, here's the idea I want you to walk out with. Choose God's way. Choose God's way. That's the choice that Exodus wants us to make. Not to choose the way of sin, not to operate like Pharaoh, not to do things that are right in our own eyes, but rather to choose God's way because it leads to life. It leads to salvation. It's, it's the way that things are supposed to be. We're to choose God's way, but we can't. We can't do it on our own. That's why we need to look to Jesus as our deliverer. We need to look to Jesus as our deliverer. We're stuck. We can't get out, so we need to be rescued. Call on the name of Jesus. Maybe you've never done that before. Maybe you kind of feel like, well, is this really so bad? What Exodus wants to say is, like, yeah, you keep walking down that road, it, it gets pretty dark, pretty terrible. This is not the way things are supposed to be. Choose the way of God, but we can't do it on our own. We need to be rescued. So look to Jesus. Allow him to rescue you. He's already ready to grab you. Reach out for him. That's the call that we have for Exodus. But for those of us who we've, we've taken his hand, we've been rescued, we've said like, yep, I want to do that. It is not a one and done thing. It's not something like we choose once and now we're finished. Like, okay, we can go God's way. You probably know like, yeah, I still feel that choice on a daily basis. Yes. Every day we're faced with this choice. Will we continue to go after God or will we go back, back to Egypt, back to the slavery that's right here? Like, will we choose that? And we need his help to continue to operate in God's way. So it's not a one-time thing. It's when we face these choices in life where we're tempted to go one way or another. We invite Jesus in to rescue us afresh and say, help me go this way. And so what I want you to do this week, here's the one thing is when you face that moment, pray. Pray. God, help me choose your way. That's it. I mean, you might feel like, oh, is that really it? We can't do it on our own. We don't have the strength. We don't have the, the wisdom. We don't have the knowledge. We can't muster up enough to get it out on our own. We have to surrender afresh. And so pray simply, Help me choose your way, Lord. That's it. And he will. We're going to stumble. We're going to fall. We're going to tri trip ourselves up. Like, it's going to be kind of clunky. But I promise you, he will show up. And he will help you. So simply pray, help me choose your way, Lord. We are slaves to sin. That's our status. Until Jesus shows up. And he changes our status and says, no longer is that true. Choose my way. So choose God's way all along the way. Would you join me in a word of prayer? God, thank you that we get to study this book, explore this story, and understand who we are, and understand who you are. God, as much as we're going to learn about ourselves and, and have this mirror, we're going to be able to see you much more clearly as well. So God, I pray that as we walk through Exodus that we begin to look and see ourselves in it. See how we are as human beings and see the ways that we're prone to do the wrong thing and, and see how we can be redeemed, how we can be rescued and saved for the right thing. 
Help us to do that, God. Help us to choose your way. And God, I pray that we would be conscious of these choices. Sometimes we just don't even think about them. We just kind of go and, and make a choice. But God, I pray that we slow down and we just see the choice. But we pray to you, help me choose your way. God, would we do that? Would we pursue you? Would we chase after you? Thank you, Lord, for who you are and for what you do. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.